The book's much better, yes. Uh, who's read the book? Excellent. So, for those, what's that? A book. Yeah, that counts sometimes. Uh, uh, for those of you that have done both, uh, you may be like me and you had mixed experiences watching the movie because the book is so good uh, uh, that it was actually hard for us to watch the movie because, you know, nothing can stand up to a good book when you've read it and loved it so much. So, uh, good morning. My name's uh, Bill Holliday. Um, uh, today is a little bit about Ender's Game uh, and uh, a lot about our hearts and our minds uh, and our mindsets and um, how we focus those uh, in different directions in our lives. Um, uh, anyone that is up for praying for our family today, we just put our eight-year-old, uh, our oldest boy on the plane for the first time by himself to Florida, so uh, he's in the air right now, so if either one of us is looking nervous and checking our watches and flight statuses, uh, we're waiting for him to get to his Gigi's house in Florida, so uh, appreciate that. Uh, um, so, is this going to work today? Would be the question. Maybe not. Mark, you're up. Um, Oh, for the people that have read the book, uh, this is a kind of an inside joke. Uh, a couple memes, uh, uh, also Lord of the Rings fans uh, with the giant drinks there. So um, you could put up the copy of the book. Uh, um, I usually uh, would have a paperback that's been read about 18,000 times because this is one of these books that uh, I read every couple years. Uh, it's also a book that I'm not afraid to loan out to friends. And so at the moment, a friend has it, and I can't actually remember who. So I don't have a copy of the book, so that's the, uh, the cover of the original book. Um, Ender's Game, written by Orson Scott Card. Uh, it was actually first a short story in a magazine, uh, an, an analog science fiction, in fact, back in 1977. Uh, was the first time he came up with the concept of this story. Uh, it was first published in 1986 as a full-length uh, uh, novel. Um, but his, he wrote a definitive version in 1991, after the fall of the Soviet Union, because there's uh, themes in here that have to do with politics. And so he rewrote and edited it uh, five years later. So the author's definitive version, 1991, uh, reflects the current events in the Cold War. Cold War. Um, one of the interesting things uh, about this book, it's about, uh, you know, it's about warfare in the future. Uh, it's about aliens and invading Earth and fighting back. Uh, and how a unique type of soldier, uh, uh, kids, are needed in order to fight uh, effectively against this enemy. Uh, and the character you see in the, in the movie is actually too old. Ender's actually six years old when he's taken uh, and drafted, uh, and he's fighting these battles when he's ten. So, you know, take off eight or ten years from the people you see in the character, and those are the types of main characters we're looking at in this book. Um, uh, interesting fact, uh, it's suggested reading uh, for a lot of military institutions, uh, including the United States Marine Corps. It's on the Commandant's list of suggested reading books, uh, which is kind of interesting. Uh, it's run a bunch of awards, uh, 1985 Nebula Award for Best Novel, 1986 Hugo Award, uh, which are the two best awards in science fiction that can be awarded. Uh, and I first read it in 1996. Uh, and when I read it, uh, uh, it quickly became one of my favorites because there's so many uh, points of significance and basic truths uh, compelling on multiple levels. Um, uh, so that's kind of the history of the book, how I came to know it, and a little bit of the history. Um, but the book itself is only one of the reasons why it's significant to me personally. Um, uh, I guess uh, some of you probably heard Rachel my story. Uh, for those of you who haven't, I'll give you the Cliff Notes version. Uh, we were born and raised uh, in Boise, Idaho, both of us. Uh, we came, come from Idaho. Um, we 
went to different schools, rival high schools actually, uh, so we didn't know each other growing up. Uh, but we were both musicians. Uh, I was in band, marching band, uh, orchestras, uh, honor orchestras around the valley. Uh, Rachel was in many orchestras as well. And we actually played in some of the same honor groups, even though we weren't the same age. So we went literally on, you know, tour around all state and all Northwest, like in these same groups. In fact, she has a picture of me when uh, uh, she was a senior. She was taking a picture of a friend who was a trombonist. I'm a trumpet player. And I'm actually in the picture before we even knew each other. So it's like one of those weird moments, like a few years later, she's going through a photo, and I was like, this is you from high school. Like, how did that happen? So, um, but we didn't meet until uh, I was a senior, and uh, she was going to Peabody Conservatory uh, here in Baltimore. And my band director, uh, when I was looking at schools, uh, one of them was Peabody as an option, said, hey, my wife has a, a, a student who's going to Peabody now. So literally, uh, you know, my band director and her orchestra director, who were married, husband and wife, um, you know, essentially introduce us to each other. And we like to say my mom called her mom and set up a meeting so that I could find out about Peabody Conservatory. So uh, one, of those, uh, one of those fate things. So She likes to say that she met me, I think it was like on spring break in jeans and a t-shirt and a ponytail in the summer. Um, you know, not exactly the best way to meet your future husband uh, uh, on summer break. Um, uh, so that's one of those funny things. Uh, um, but when we first started dating, uh, uh, you know, and getting to know each other, uh, one of the things that we did was uh, we, we started reading books to each other. And so we would take our favorite book uh, and actually read out loud, you know, chapter by chapter. Uh, and I chose Ender's Game. Um, she, uh, her, her favorite book uh, that she read to me was uh, The Hero in the Crown by Robin McKinley, um, uh, which is a, a great book. It's a, it's a great action adventure book for young adults. Uh, uh, particularly, I would say, you know, for boys and girls alike, but uh, a few of the points that really struck uh, Rachel and that came across to me as she was reading it and explaining why it was important to her, um, you know, it shows that a hero can be a girl. Uh, you know, you've got a girl that's slaying dragons, protecting the people she loves, uh, a strong uh, female character um, who's the chosen one and is the only one that can actually do this. So, uh, you know, you, you think of the hero in the crown and, you know, you think of kings and, and, and princes, but uh, uh, in this novel, the uh, the heroine uh, saves the day. Um, and my book was Ender's Game, and uh, one of the first ones. Uh, we read multiple books, but these are the two most significant. And if you've never done it, if you've never read aloud to someone, uh, um, you know, I would suggest trying it. Uh, it's a totally different meaning than uh, reading words on paper. Uh, you know, I read Ender's Game all the time, and I don't cry while I'm reading it. Uh, but just a few weeks ago, we started reading Ender's Game again together, and after the first chapter or two, you know, we looked at each other and we're both in tears. And it's like one of those things where when you verbalize what's being said, um, both hearing it and saying it takes on different significance. So uh, if you haven't tried that, I would suggest doing it and finding that deeper meaning. works for the Bible as well. Uh, reading verses out loud uh, often takes on uh, different and new uh, significance uh, than just reading the words on the page. Uh, we did that uh, early on in our marriage. We uh, started working through a chronological Bible, reading some every night. Uh, we almost made it. I think we made it up to the last couple chapters. Uh, um, uh, but it, it certainly uh, is a new experience. Uh, maybe after the kids are grown and gone again, we'll have time to do that every night and read out loud. But uh, one, uh, uh, one book we just read recently as a family, uh, anyone know Roald Dahl's BFG, right? Classic favorite. Hilarious book. Um, we started reading that and 
you know, doing all the voices in that book and all the weird words, and the kids had them in stitches almost every single night, so much so that they wouldn't let me stop reading. It's one of those things where read another chapter, read another chapter, and bedtimes got later and later, so uh, we had to keep going. But, um, so anyway, Ender's Game has significance for me because it's, uh, it's during the time of my life when I was uh, falling in love with Rachel. Uh, I was learning about her passions, um, her deep love of God. Um, it, she, in uh, that time, helped me to reestablish my own relationship with God when I was uh, wandering and questioning um, and so I'm forever grateful for that, and I continue to draw strength and encouragement uh, from that, you know, even 17 years later now. So that's one of the reasons why the book's so special to me. Um, so uh, overview, uh, Ender's Game. Um, Orson Scott Card, he's written hundreds of books uh, in his lifetime as an author, many different series. Uh, Ender's by far his most popular uh, out of all the books he's written. Um, and uh, Card is not a Christian. Uh, he's a Mormon. So much like parts of the Mormon religion, what I take from Ender is there's, there's some deep truths. And with a lot of his book, he starts with some very basic truths that I agree with. And then the other books that I've read of his just kind of twist off in different directions. And honestly, I've never been able, you know, he's got many series of multiple books. And I'll start the series and I'll be really excited and it'll be really great. And then it just kind of twists and changes and I don't finish most of his series uh, for that. Um, but I think that's one of the examples of how God can work through even non-Christians, is that we all have the same imprint on our hearts of the basic truths of God, of what is right and what feels right and what is good. Uh, and you know, one of the things about the world is it, it, it plays on those things in our hearts and it, it captures us and then it twists them into something different. Uh, and so that's always the, the challenge is to uh, know when it isn't right anymore. Um, uh, but half of this book is about Ender's thoughts, which is, I think, one of the reasons it doesn't translate very well into the big screen is because most of the significant things that are going on inside Ender's head and the, the things he thinks. When he sees things in the world and he hears people say things and you hear his reactions and his thoughts, and, which is why it's so difficult. Um, one of the uh, interesting things I uh, read researching how this book became a movie, uh, he optioned the rights to the book in 1996, and he went through... Uh, and it took forever to turn it into a movie just a couple years ago, he went through six iterations of the script before Hollywood would take it. So he kept trying and trying and trying after they, he sold the options, and they, they're like, no, this, can't, this won't play on the big screen, it won't play on the big screen. So it kept having to change and change uh, over the years until finally someone took it. Uh, and he's admitted publicly, um, uh, you know, this was an interview right before the movie came out with Wired Magazine, uh, where he was asked, um, you know, why is Ender so, so great? Uh, and he admits, you know, he's like, I don't know. If I could do it again, I would, uh, which is, is pretty telling of how, you know, inspired some things creatively and artistically can be is that, you know, he's not even sure exactly how uh, he created the thing that he created, um, uh, which is interesting. Um, and then uh, on the next one, uh, you'll see his big plans for uh, the entire Ender series. This is, this is all the Ender world. These are all the books and articles and online things. So once Ender's Game was a hit, uh, it turned into a trilogy, which uh, Rachel won't even read the whole trilogy. It gets so weird at the end. Um, uh, it, it was, it's turned into a lot more than a trilogy. Um, the three after that, Shadow Hedgemon, Shadow Puppets, and Shadow, or no. Uh, where are they at? Ender's Game, Homecoming... 
Oh, Speaker for the Dead, Xenocide, and Children of the Mind were the trilogy that came after Ender's Game. Um, uh, and it, again, it just twists and gets weird uh, as it goes on. So, um, but in Ender's Game, he gets it right. He gets it really right, um, which is one of the one of the great things about the book. Um, so, who is Ender? Ender's I mentioned he's a six-year-old boy, right? Um, he is the third child of a family of really smart kids. Um, this book is based probably, I don't know, 150, 200 years in the future when Earth's population is exploding. And there are actually laws in place that you can only have two kids. Uh, and so uh, his parents have their first kid, Peter, his oldest brother, who's basically a highly intelligent sociopath. Uh, he's a complete maniac. Uh, he enjoys uh, hurting people. Uh, he sees the worst parts of somebody's, somebody's soul, and he uses it to manipulate them. Uh, he'll take the thing you're most embarrassed of and show it to the person you're most, uh, you know, proud of. Uh, and he, he, he knows how to get to the heart of your soul. And he, uh, he terrorizes Ender. And uh, his sister, Valentine, who's the second kid, is the complete opposite. Uh, she's compassionate, loving. Uh, it's the one person that Ender can trust and love in the entire world. Uh, and uh, these two polar opposites uh, are both uh, monitored by... Uh, the, the people in the military school, the International Fleet, IF, uh, they install monitors in the backs of their necks and they see and hear what they hear when they're like three, four, five years old. So they're actually watching them all the time while they're growing up. Uh, and if they find someone that is a good candidate for battle school, they will draft them literally when they're five, six, seven years old. Uh, so these people have seen Peter and they decided he's too aggressive, he will not fit the program. They've seen Valentine, she's equally smart and uh, talented, uh, but she's too compassionate. And so they give his parents uh, authorization to have a third. And that's his, one of his nicknames. That's what the kids at school call him to you know, uh, bully him. Uh, it's what his brother calls him, his third. Uh, because it's a, uh, it's a bad thing. Uh, because most families only have two. So he's the oddball from the very beginning. Um, so the alien formics are coming. Um, uh, I was just going to read... Uh, uh, the first page here, two of the book, uh, to give you a feel for the uh, for the insights uh, and a little bit of the setting. Uh, and this is the adults speaking at the beginning, uh, the people that are, have been watching him through the monitor uh, and hearing what he hears. It says, I've watched through his eyes. I've listened through those ears. I can tell you he's the one, or at least as close as we're going to get. That's what you said about the brother. Well, the brother tested out impossible for other reasons, nothing to do with his ability. Same with the sister, and there are doubts about him. He's too malleable, too willing to submerge himself in someone else's will. Not if the other person is his enemy. So what do we do, surround him with enemies all the time? If we have to. I thought you said you liked this kid. Well, if the buggers get him, they'll make me look like his favorite uncle. All right, we're saving the world after all. Take him. This six-year-old, right? It's like... Uh, kind of puts into, you know, right away, you love this kid because, uh, you know, the, the entire world's going to be after him. Uh, so the monitor comes out. Uh, sure enough, the kids start to pick on him because now they know that the adults can't see him. They're not watching him. They're not going to come save him. Uh, and so he gets, uh, um, he gets put into situations where he has to defend himself, and he's very good at it. Uh, he does a great job. Um, 
so much so that uh, they actually do accept him, they take him up to school, and he starts to have these insights, um, relativistic insights, like on the launch pad, once gravity's gone uh, up in space, uh, he realizes that there is, no, uh, there is no gravity anymore, so the old directions don't mean anything. Down, up, sideways, they can be whatever you want to think of them. Uh, and this gives them advantages over the other kids who are still stuck in their up and down mentality. Uh, as they start to play the games in, uh, at battle school uh, in the big battle room, which is the big scene where everyone's flying around inside the, uh, the battle school, uh, he creates and invents new ways to do things because of the way he looks at it. And uh, the, the most famous one uh, is the enemy's gate is down, right? Um, that's, that's, that's the big thing that sets him apart and allows him, even as he's a very, very young commander and uh, has the, the trust and starts to train uh, with the people that, that believe in him, um, and gives him the, uh, the tactical advantages uh, because it allows, um, allows him to think uh, in different ways from uh, all the people around him. Um, and, you know, this applies to life too, right? We all are experiencing more or less the same reality in, in what's around us, but it's about how we perceive it is what separates us from uh, other people, uh, our perceptions of the world and the stories that we're telling about the world. Um, you know, even little things, you know, like driving on the beltway, uh, you know, you hate it when someone comes up and tailgates you and, you know, you get anxious inside um, uh, because someone's tailgating you. Uh, but if you come up on someone doing 40 uh, and they're going slow, it's, it's opposite and reverse, right? It's, it's all a matter of speed, right? What's the right speed to go? If I think it's too fast, you think it's too slow, I think it's too fast, you think it's too slow, uh, and it's, it's a relative thing. Um, uh, or one around our house, uh, or we had a house church the other night, you know, Someone gets hit with a sword, uh, and you know they're they're hurt and offended, uh, and you know then someone else says, "Oh well, that was the game we were playing. I thought it was okay." Well, it was wrong to hit with a sword, but there's two perceptions of the same event, and they're and they're different, uh, and that's you know that's why kids have parents to help guide them through the, the rights and wrongs of that stuff, right? Um, uh, but at his core, uh, as Ender's fighting, uh, he he gets put into the position where he has to fight. He's told he's the only one that can do this. Uh, and he doesn't want to. He doesn't want to become like Peter. Uh, in fact, at a turning point in his life, uh, when he's just done with the program, he doesn't want to, to do it anymore. They take him back to Earth, and he literally lays on a raft in a lake for three months uh, because he's unmotivated. He doesn't want to go on. And so they bring his sister to him. Uh, and uh, they talk, and ultimately Peter comes up because that's the, the core of his hurt soul is, is Peter uh, and how uh, he doesn't want to become like Peter uh, and the killer. Um, and... Uh, she asks him at some point uh, while they're laying out on the raft in the lake uh, on the raft he made, uh, says, so you want to beat Peter? She asks. No, he answers. Well, beat the buggers. Then come home and see who notices Peter Wigan anymore. Look him in the eye when all the world loves and reveres you. That'll be defeat in his eyes, Ender. That's how you win. You don't understand, says Ender. Yes, I do. No, you don't. I don't want to beat Peter. Then what do you want to do? I want him to love me. And that's the core of who he is. That's, that's why we love Ender so much when we read the book, because he's not a killer at heart. He does have the qualities of both his siblings. He knows how to win. He knows how to win decisively, um, which is why they need him, because they need someone that can know the enemy, the buggers, the aliens, the formics. Um, but how do you know your enemy? You, you have to study them. Um, you have to learn from what they do. You have to put yourself in their shoes. Um, which he, Ender does really well. Uh, in fact, one of his best quotes, um, uh, he says, in the moment when I truly understand my enemy, understand him well enough to defeat him, 
then in that very moment, I also love him. I think it's impossible to really understand somebody, what they want, what they believe, and not love them the way they love themselves. And the sad part for Ender is the position he's put in, and then in that very moment, I destroy them, which hurts his soul because he doesn't want to do that, uh, but he has no choice. Uh, but you take this, this concept uh, and this quote, and you take away the enemy part, you take about away the war theme and the fact that Ender had to be fighting a war, uh, and there's a lot of applications to life, too. Um, that to truly understand someone, to truly love someone, you have to know them, right? Uh, it's hard to love someone that you don't know. Uh, it, it, it's, it's human nature. Uh, the, the, the better you understand someone and know someone, uh, the more you're going to love someone. Uh, and in general, the people we know the best, we love the most, right? Think of your spouses, your kids, the people you spend the most time with. Um, it's about... Uh, relationships. Uh, and that's one of the things about God uh, is he knows us perfectly, right? He's omniscient. Uh, he, he knows all of us, our hearts, our souls, our desires, our failings, uh, and he loves us completely. Uh, so I think that's one of the basic truths of creation, that knowing someone allows you to love someone and that God does know us perfectly and he loves us completely. Um, a quote from uh, Matthew chapter 5, speaks to this uh, in, in the relationship uh, of the world. You've heard it said that love your neighbors and hate your enemies. But I tell you, love your enemies. Pray for those who persecute you, that you may be children of your Father in heaven. Uh, we're called to love our enemies. We're called to know our enemies. That's how we do it. Uh, you know, this is one of the most difficult passages in the Bible, right? Love your enemy. You know, how do you wrestle with that? Uh, in all sorts of different ways. Uh, it's through relationships. Uh, another verse, uh, Matthew 22, uh, when the Pharisees are trying to trap Jesus, he's talking about the importance of all the commandments. Uh, someone asks him, Teacher, which is the greatest commandment in the law? And Jesus replies, Love the Lord your God with all your heart and with all your soul and with all your mind. This is the first and greatest commandment. And the second is like it. Love your neighbor as yourself. All the law and prophets hang on these two commandments. How do we love? We do it by relationships. Doing them right. Honestly, it's something I'm not that great at, historically. Uh, as, an intern, as an introvert, uh, uh, relationships don't come easily. Uh, they're, they're work. Uh, they're work in general for everybody, but uh, it's, a, it's harder for some people uh, than others. Uh, it's so easy to stay on the surface Right? as we go about our daily lives uh, and avoid going deeper. Especially for the infidorts, but uh, also you know, people that have been hurt in the past. Uh, when you open yourself up, you risk being hurt, the chance of being hurt. Um, I don't have five points to success for how we do that, uh, but there is uh, at least one good example uh, from the book of Philippians. Um, and here... From the, uh, uh, at New Hope, we should know how to fill in the blank at the end, which is not a blank, but uh, in your relationships with one another, have the same mindset as Christ Jesus. Have the main, same mindset as Christ Jesus. So as we try to know and understand and have a relationship with Christ Jesus, we can learn also how to have relationships with those around us. So I've been reminded at times throughout my life 
points of turning, change, uh, decision not to take love for granted. Uh, it's often most potent when I mess up. And uh, I deserve uh, to lose love, but someone around me rises instead above my mess up, above the sin, and loves me through the faults. Uh, I'm reminded that love can be slow to grow, uh, often in small steps, intentional efforts, uh, and that love is a precious gift that you can give someone. Uh, And it's up to the recipient to treat it with trust, honor it well, uh, and trustworthiness. I think all of us build levels uh, of walls around our hearts as we go through life. Uh, you know, it's one of the things that we love about the innocence of children, uh, is they're quick to love, they're quick to trust. Uh, and as the world starts to hurt us, uh, walls can go up, uh, which is why, you know, as a parent, you're always walking that line of how do we protect our kids from being hurt, but also teach them to uh, interact with the world uh, and expose them to things, uh, like getting on a plane to Florida by themselves. Uh, But if we read in the Bible, uh, um, you know, Jesus had an uncanny knack of cutting through uh, uh, to people's hearts and their souls and their deepest desires, um, which is one of, the, one of the great things. Of course, he knows everyone perfectly, right? So he already knows what your desires are. He doesn't have to ask and figure it out through conversation. Uh, um, but he was able to speak to their true hearts uh, to bring out the best of them, um, the godliness in them. Uh, to focus their minds on the kingdom of God. Uh, But most of the time, for most of us, uh, those probably aren't the types of conversations we're having. Uh, We don't have magical windows into each other's souls the way God does. Uh, So for us, it starts about talking about, you know, how well the Orioles are doing, or lately not well the Orioles are doing, uh, uh, or our favorite sports teams, or, um, you know, how was vacation, uh, what's new in your life, and and all the things in our day-to-day lives, uh, how stressed we are, or news of the day, you know, take your pick of, of any things that we talk, any of the things we talk about 90% of the time with each other. Um, and while we never really hear Jesus having idle chit-chat in the Bible, right, uh, it's, it's mostly about the, the deep, important uh, uh, things. Um, I'm sure he did that. You know, one of the things on my bucket list when I get to heaven and meet, uh, meet our Lord is to, you know, uh, hear what he talked about with people when he first walked up and met them. You know, how did he start a conversation? Um, you know, along with all the cosmic questions about the nature and the universe, um, you know, I'm sure something came before he walked up and said, come, follow me, and I will make you fishers of men. You know, I'm sure there was something in that conversation uh, that, that people would know him. Because um, all of us have stories. Uh, and most of our stories all involve relationships uh, and the people in our lives. Um, and if you don't take your a risk to open your heart a little bit, share your thoughts with someone at appropriate levels, neighbors, enemies, friends. Uh, relationships can't have a chance to grow. Uh, so challenge, as much for myself uh, as anyone else, uh, is to think about the relationships in your lives. Uh, think about your friends, you know, good friends, um, not so close friends, neighbors, family, spouse, kids, uh, and think about how they might grow if you want them to grow. Uh, But reach out to someone in a way they wouldn't expect. Um, Call an old acquaintance just to say hi, see how they're doing. Uh, Invite someone over for dinner, a neighbor, friend, 
uh, or for your good friends, ask them some deep question that they wouldn't expect you to ask and see how they answer. Uh, to, uh, or tell your spouse or your best friend something new that they've never heard before. Because uh, it's about mindset. Uh, it's about defining your goal and what, where you're pointed so that your thoughts and decisions are focused in the direction of that goal. Uh, for Ender, his goal was defeat an alien enemy that they thought was going to destroy them. And his whole world and his whole life was bent on that goal. Uh, but for us, uh, it's different, obviously. Uh, it's, a, it's a broader one. Uh, I think it's about uh, the kingdom of God uh, and the goal of God and Christ of revealing the kingdom on earth. Uh, so to do that, we have to set our minds on him, on his plan for us, uh, so that we can avoid the world's distractions, false orientations, uh, and focus on the goal to live and reveal the kingdom of God. So, will you pray with me? Lord, we entrust you. We trust you with our hearts. Please protect them from the pains of this world. We give you our minds, our thoughts. Please shape them to be focused toward you. Encourage us, correct us, guide us as needed. We give you our hands, our feet, our mouths, that we might be instruments of your will, revealing your light in the world. Use us. Use us as you would, Lord, to the glory of your kingdom. Amen.